What makes you strange on purpose? I think I'm a perfectionist. I don't know anything. I don't know, I'm just me. I'm a little weirdo. I'm just me. My unwillingness to stay stagnant. I can only be like authentically myself. The best way I can answer this question is with describing a picture. It's this guy riding a motorcycle while he's reading a book called How to Ride a Motorcycle. Welcome to the Strange on Purpose podcast. I'm Izzy. Let's get rolling. Honesty hour. I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast, and I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. I'm Izzy, and I'm honored to be joined by my guest today. His name is Leland, and he's working with a brand that you may not have known about, and he's here to tell you all about it, as well as how he landed into his position, his journey, all the names he's met, and everything like that. So Leland, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Izzy. Happy to be here, man. What are you working on? Um, so I work for a company called Kix World. It's called K-Y-X World. Um, Kix. Uh, as as we call it, um, and it is the first of its kind sneaker subscription company. So that means try before you buy, and that means rental. Um, and I know that that word can be a little bit icky or scary in the sneaker community or as it pertains to footwear, um, but we're doing some really exciting stuff. And, you know, our mission is to pro- provide more access for more people in an industry that's been, you know, traditionally very exclusive. And we've all seen sneaker culture grow and kind of the excitement around these rare shoes, whether it's Off-White or Travis Scott or any of these hype collaborations kind of go through the roof. And as demand has increased, you know, Nike, Easy, they're not making more pairs, right? Especially with supply chain issues. So at the end of the day, there's a huge disparity from like those who have and those who have not. And, you know, we, we understand there will always be grails and exclusives and people who want to, you know, one to rock, one to stock. And we're not trying to say that that's wrong, but we are trying to acknowledge all the people that don't get to wear these shoes and really provide uh, the experience of wearing fun shoes. So that's, that's Kicks World in a nutshell. So for the people that do have that, like, in a sense, that wall up, when we say rental, what would you tell them? Yeah, man, great, great question. I mean, first I'd I just kind of ask everyone to examine their life and what they what they currently are comfortable renting, right? Like you stay in a hotel room and God knows how many times those beds have been slept on or sheets have been used, right? You, uh, you stay at an Airbnb, same kind of mentality. Uh, you rent a car via Hertz or Turo, same kind of mentality. Um, and it's even skewed into, you know, more one-to-one connections, right? Like rent the runway, which is now a billion dollar company in the world's largest dry cleaner is, you know, probably something you or your significant other has thought of or used in some capacity. And, you know, while I, I acknowledge, we acknowledge as a team that, you know, feet are feet at the end of the day, there's totally things that we, we do and that you can do to clean them and sterilize them and make them like new. And so really it's more of like a conscious, uh, speed bump versus a roadblock. And I think, you know, as, as we grow and this becomes more ubiquitous, 
it will almost be the opposite. Like you're not renting, you, you bought those, you, you own those, right? Yeah. Like there's so much more opportunity to get to experience new shoes through this model um, that, you know, we're confident slowly but surely people will warm up to it. And also like if you've ever been bowling before, I mean, that's, that's this, but <laughs> a much more extreme <laughs> level. That's true. That's very true. There's something to be said on the sustainability side uh, for Kicks World as well. So we had on Daniel um, from Bright Young Things. That's what he was kind of known as um, when he jumped on the pod and then the Air, the Air Vegan, obviously. But he talked a lot about sustainability and like how we can move forward as a industry. Um, just talking about the different qualities and materials that you can use but then how we as a community can move forward by reusing or like beating up your shoes before having to use them or get rid of them or anything like that so from a sustainability side where do you stand like was that something that was top of mind as well when building this for sure that's a a great question um First of all, shout out Daniel, um, awesome dude. Love what he's doing with Air Vegan. Um, we actually worked with BYT on the Kicks launch commercial, uh, so nothing, nothing but good things to say about him and his team. Um, he's really, you know, hit the nail on the head with sustainability, right? Like at the end of the day, um, the materials and process in which not just sneakers but the whole fashion industry adheres to is extremely wasteful. Um, it's wasteful and it's polluting. And, you know, as we sort of alluded to earlier in this, in this chat, like there's no slowing mm. of the demand. So it really begs the question, so then what can be done? I think Dan and Air Vegan have done an amazing, and with Future World, an amazing job highlighting like material consumption and how companies with Nike can be far more transparent about what goes into the shoes and kind of like a, a material breakdown list, almost like an in- ingredient list. Um, from Kick's perspective, there's a few things we'll say. Um, one is this idea of a circular economy is is obviously here to stay for a reason, right? When when clothes stay in circulation, when they're shared by more people, it reduces a need to consume new stuff. However, that does come with some caveats, and I think internally, I'm I'm both the loudest shouter that we need to address this stuff, but also the loudest uh, shouter as to like why we have to be careful. And that's you know, there's been a, a good amount of articles written about um, like last mile emissions, right? If you think about the way the pandemic accelerated online shopping and the culture around it, we have far too many people just buying stuff and returning stuff, right? They, they do it without thinking. And, you know, I'm, I would say just as guilty as everyone else, but try to be mindful of, you know, buying stuff with intention versus with the chance of returning. And that's because you just think about airplanes and kind of, you know, the gas and fuel required for cars that take take your packages, what's known as the last mile, um, it, it really begs, you know, the, the addressing of these things. And so what can you do? Well, a number of companies have moved into purchasing carbon offsets. And so I think that this is something on the horizon for kicks as a way to help offset the, the shipping that we do, because while we are a circular economy in the sense that you're getting, giving shoes a, a new life and kind of keeping them alive longer than they would, at the same time, you know, there's, um, you know, there's materials used to clean them that's, that can be viewed as wasteful and, and similarly with, with the shipping and the emissions. So um, it is top of mind, but probably a reason we're not shouting it from the rooftops is we want to make sure we're doing as much as we can 
from a business standpoint to cover things like carbon offsets, reusable packaging, which which takes you know time to set up and and certainly something we're prioritizing as an organization. I think it's really really cool what you are building and what you and the team are building. Most importantly, because it's presenting something that the industry has lacked for a long time, and that's something different. Like there's been like huge startups that come into town and um, in tech and in any other name any other industry that come in and kind of disrupt things and make you force you to look at things differently. I think that's what Kicks is kind of doing for the sneaker industry as a whole. Because as we start to grow and as we start to realize, like, hey, we have a problem here, uh, like a hype problem or anything like that, I think it's interesting from at least a, a community member's point of view to say, wow, this is something different. This is something that could, like, I can rent that pair of sneakers rather than just own it and just have it just sit in the corner of my house my entire life um, and only wear it like 10 times because I just so I can say I wear like I I own them that's something interesting and that's something that um, I think a lot of perspectives will change over time as more people start to just embrace it in a sense so to talk a little bit about how little the industry has actually changed what can the community do to kind of embrace this change? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you see those videos on on Instagram of like shoes that have been stocked for 20 years just disintegrating, right? And there's, there's actually some interesting information that like wearing your shoes actually keeps them more intact because there's like natural things in the air and whatever that reinforce the soul. I'm, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to speak to that with any degree of certainty other than those videos seem to indicate that saving them forever is not the best play. Um, And I think like, you know, starting with like, for instance, StockX, right? Like they took an industry that was dominated by eBay for, I don't know, 20 years and basically said like, why, why are these guys dominating, right? What can we do to streamline this experience? And I give, you know, Josh and that early team over there a lot of credit for, you know, rethinking kind of the sneaker landscape. Um, But they very much did it through the same lens, right? Resellers, there's been resale shops all over New York for 30 years. And while, you know, maybe the brands have changed from around two to a cool kicks, you know, stadium goods, Fight Club's been here forever, getting bought by Goat, right? You see the, the evolution of these brands, but the model itself is the same, right? Like the model itself is the same. And one thing I will say is it's somewhat ironic how down consumers are to buy used shoes from around two or an ebay or cool kicks but then when you talk about wearing used shoes for us it almost seems like a completely different conversation when in reality it's quite literally the exact same thing if anything we're taking the time to actually clean and sterilize the shoes when i guarantee you those brands are not so you're essentially getting them straight off foot from someone and it's up to you to clean them uh versus you know, coming, coming to you kind of fresh out the box or like they're fresh out of the box. Specifically to your question, like why, I mean, I think change in any industry is is tough, right? Like there is a reason it took so long for Uber to come when I'm sure other people had that idea that like taxis were not the be all end all. Um, Similarly, right? Like hotels existed for a long time where Airbnb started with a much smaller wedge in the industry before kind of like catching on and taking off. So not to take like a cop-out answer and say like change is slow in any industry, 
but I think that sneaker culture has been such a insider game, you know, like you start, you start to see these stories of Michael Jordan's son backdooring or West Coast Joe, the son of the Nike exec backdooring pairs. And like, that's just what we see. Those are just the people that got caught, right? That, that process, that element of this game is rampant. If, if the average consumer even had a semblance of an idea of how unfair it really is, they would, you know, be running towards a service like Kicks because truly you don't, you don't have any shot on the sneakers app, right? You know, stores get X amount of pairs, but they only sell Y amount of pairs. Like, where is that Delta? And it's because there's so much money to be made, right? And the reason that they don't reserve those pairs at retail is because they can sell it for three, four X at, at resale. And so like, it's, it's kind of simple economics and it's, you know, when, when a system gets as broken as it, as it's gotten, you know, what's needed is not another reseller with a different brand who knows XYZ wrapper, right? The idea is that we can actually shift the paradigm, but also with that sort of bourgeoisie, celebrity, whatever you want to call them, like, is it cool to flex on your fans anymore? Like this idea of like, look what I have that you can't have, like, is that cool? And I, you know, I give people like Salehi Benberry a lot of credit for, for wearing their shoes and sending them to real people. And really like the excitement is around wearing them uh, whereas, you know, you could argue and say like Virgil's kind of the opposite. He signs them like their art and you really see less and less of those pairs out in the wild because they're, they're busy in closets, like accruing value. Let's get into you a little bit, Lulin, because you have a crazy backstory as well. And I mean, just from the simple fact that you were very, very close with Jeff Staple and uh, other industry legends. So talk about the time before Kicks World and how it's really like shaped who you are today in the role that you're in. Yeah, good question. Um, well, I'd say I've been passionate about this industry for a long time. Um, I grew up in San Francisco. I, I really gravitated towards um, the fitted and sneaker culture that was being developed by Huff. Now, I don't know if a lot of people know, but Huff used to be like a tier zero Nike account. Huff used to be like undefeated or, um, you know, any of those stores kicks Hawaii back in the day, SNS, whatever you want to kind of qualify these, you know, top, top tier boutique retailers as, and then pivoted towards skate, et cetera, down, down the road, RIP Keith. Um, but it was a fantastic store for discovery and to really like, you know, find brands like VizVim and understand, um, what this industry was about. And then when I moved to New York after college, I just wanted to immerse myself as, as much as possible and ended up actually meeting Jeff Staple through this Pepsi project that did not work out. Um, but it's a good reminder that, you know, the value or the experience or the journey uh, is truly the reward and that you can't really know in the moment the benefits, right? Like that project kind of epically failed and it seemed like, oh, all was lost. But, you know, it kind of came back to bear fruits five, six, seven years later. Um, I did the Pepsi thing. Uh, I ended up working at a sales showroom. I, show, I sold brands like John uh, Woolrich, John Rich and Brothers, those parkas, and uh, Nigel Caborn and some other cool brands. From there, I went to Liberty Fairs, um, kind of working on the, the trade show side. So kind of selling to the buyers and then servicing the buyers to really understand, like, how a brand goes to market and kind of moves around the ecosystem and what levers can and cannot be pulled to, to gauge success. 
Um, from there, I worked with a brand called Pin Trill. Uh, shout out Jordan, Donnie, and Andrew. Great people. Um, awesome experience. We'll say sometimes easier said than done to work with friends. But again, it, it sort of closed the loop on sales, then trade show, then brand to really understand like, the ecosystem. Um, from there, I took a step back and wanted to learn more about marketing and how brands actually communicate to audiences at a larger scale. Um, I ended up finding on LinkedIn this guy by the name of Jamie Falkowski, who turned out to be one of my best bosses ever and just a really inspiring leader and, and someone who really showed me versus told me the value in like knowing the work that you ask your people to do versus just telling other people to do things. Um, and, you know, that was that was where I really got my feet wet. I sort of consider it like a grad school experience in that I got to work with Chipotle, Nike, H&M, American Express, uh, Motorola. I mean, the list kind of goes on and on in terms of client exposure and really leveled up my ability to communicate. I think so much of that world is jargon and understanding. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a, the biggest proponent of business school or like additional schooling because I think that time could be better spent. But if there is the thing you learn is that that's that's the skill you trade and those higher levels of education. And so if you can find it through like an applied learning setting where you're not just speaking about it theoretically, but you're actually doing it, I think that presents the best opportunity for growth. But also like learning about yourself, what you like, what you don't, how you work well with others or, or, or don't. Um, and it was through that experience, I was there for about two and a half years, um, that I reconnected with Jeff and he talked to me about this agency he was trying to build, um, that was kind of an evolution from staple design and took the leap of faith, um, ended up starting with Jeff and team at the start of 2020, obviously pandemic happened, a lot changed very quickly. Um, but it was still kind of a dream come true experience getting to work with Jeff on the agency rebrand to read our department on the Allbirds collaboration on a collaboration with the shoe surgeon. And it was, you know, around uh, last August when the guys from Kicks came to Jeff with this idea. And, you know, originally I was skeptical for sure and just quickly fell in love with the idea and then ended up leaving to work full time at Kicks last, uh, this last May. That's, yeah, that's that's the uh, the two minute recap of, of eight, eight, nine years. <laughs> I love it. So looking back at everything you've done to this point, you taking the leap of faith was obviously something big, but it seems like in a sense, like you were OK with not only taking that leap of faith, but jumping into something and being open to failure because you knew you were going to learn from it. When's the last time that you feel like you failed at something? What did you learn from it? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that sentiment around like taking a risk. I think that, you know, life is short, but it's also long. With that said, there's only so many opportunities where you can really put yourself out there. And I think I, I, I started to register that, I started to register that a common theme at, at the jobs leading up to kicks was that I, I, I wasn't quite challenged enough. You know, you reach a point where, you know, it's just not your job or it's not your place to care or, you know, it's not your responsibility. And I'm a fairly holistic thinker and observer when it comes to like 
humans and the flow of information. And so I end up trying to, you know, help as much as possible in these, in these environments. And, you know, I recognize that with kicks, it would be very different. And I mean, to your question, I mean, I think I'm, I've, I fail somewhat every day, right? Like kicks is, is, is growing and, you know, net I'm doing a good job and I'm, we're succeeding, but at the same time, you know, that's, a part of why I wanted to take this risk is to, is are those sort of daily failures, you know, whether it's, you know, testing an influencer campaign that doesn't produce the, the CPMs you were targeting or an email thing that's, you know, a little bit off kilter to where you had projected. Um, I give our new CFO a lot of credit for encouraging that type of thinking and kind of pushing myself as a marketer to get a little bit more analytical with these fails. So, you know, it's easy to say, oh, that didn't work, but to really lock in as to why and to knowing how to course correct. Because uh, the goal here is to be scalable and you don't you don't really find that path without, you know, daily, weekly, monthly failures that illuminate like, okay, we're not going to do that or that's probably not the best use of money or so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a constant process of being okay with that and knowing that, you know, we're, we're blazing a new path and with that comes, you know, a guarantee that some things will fail. What makes you strange on purpose? Uh, the, the title of the pod. I, I did my best to think about this without intentionally thinking about it. Um, because I think there's something kind of raw and um, almost uncut about like where this question goes. And, you know, truly the word strange kind of connects back to another word I like to say, which is like weird. Like I'm weird. And I think there's an embracing of my own weirdness and that connection to others um, that really connects to like a curiosity. Um, I think what makes me strange on purpose is that like I care about things that are not directly important to me, right? And I think this is something I really value in others and I think is not necessarily like the key to life, but it's a key for sure. Um, it's not just this idea of staying curious. I think that's a little bit blanketed and you know, that's a Steve Jobs quote, but I think for me, it's it's almost deeper, which is like to care about things that you shouldn't necessarily care about, right? Because it can feel uncomfortable or it can be strange to, you know, be interested in why there's like dots on a bumper of a car because those are like the backup <laughs> sensors. And forgive me, that's the most recent example my my grandma asked me about. But there's there's truly, I think, something special about like um, curiosity or or knowledge in its like non-pretentious form, which is like, yeah, it's you know, understanding why the world works in the way it does. And I think I've had to challenge my own, my own expectations about myself. You know, I didn't consider myself a performance marketer per se, more on the creative storytelling side, but to get uncomfortable at kicks and really embrace that stuff that you have to kind of like get weird with it. You got to start like looking at numbers in a new way. You got to, you got to challenge your own like preconceived notions of not just yourself, but like what you're good at. And I think that, that that requires sort of like an admission of of knowing what you don't know, but also like that curiosity. Like I think that people gravitate towards that both above you and below you. And it's something I try to like, you know, think about every day in my, in my work. I love that. Leland, where can people find you? Where can people check out the work and get involved in Kicks World? Um, Let's see. You can follow me. I am Leland11, L-E-L-A-N-D-1-1 on Instagram. I think that's probably the best place. <laughs> TikTok's a bit of a, a burner. 
um when it when it comes to kick so it's kyx um our website is kicks.world kyx.world the instagram kyx.world the tiktok kyx.world uh we're doing some awesome stuff on tiktok i think it's a really exciting platform and it's it's cool as we've sort of over indexed on super produced content kind of the fun that you can have with the platform and how that just really relates to that more gen z consumer um so we're on all that stuff and yeah stay stay tuned for more for more exciting moments you know we're talking with complex we're talking with sneaker con you will you will certainly see uh kicks world in the sneaker community in 2022 and you know i think if anyone hears this and wants to connect or wants to reach out um i'm more than open my email is leland g at kicks.world and you know excited to see kind of where this all goes leland thanks for jumping on the strange on purpose podcast and i look forward to following along in the journey. Likewise. Thanks for doing this, man. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Strange Up Purpose podcast. As always, if you enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes before, please like, review, follow the podcast on Instagram, drop a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you check us out. It helps the podcast grow immensely. So I appreciate you. I could not do this without you. 